0: looking at the subject of knowing God, we're talking about this being the goal for the church, is that you might know God, and I hope that you do know him. The purpose of eternal life, John 17, 3, is that you might know God. And uh, for God to know you, it's a scary thing in Matthew 7 to show up, before the judgment, and be saying that you know Christ and he doesn't know you. And he says to those, I never knew you. You never were mine. You're claiming me. You've been using my name. You've been doing some extraordinary miracles in my name, but I don't know you. Do you know him? Does he know you? This is eternal life, eternal life. Last week we were looking, or two weeks ago, at if you know him, are you growing in him, or are you stagnant? Uh, where Second Peter 1 says we are to keep growing, adding to our knowledge, growing in grace, growing in the knowledge of the Lord, and that uh, we don't have one year experience repeated 20 times, that we're literally making progress, that we're growing in the Lord. And so we were looking at that. Now today, we want to look at Matthew 28. And let me read another passage, two other passages with it, that uh, are the last words Christ said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, or perhaps afterwards. And he says to them in Matthew 28, uh, verse We'll begin at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's his prerogative. I've got the authority. I've got the power. Then go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Four Ps, that would help you, the prerogative of Christ. All authority has been given to me. Two, the program of Christ. This is his program. Go disciple the nations, baptizing them. I'll be, go do that. Teaching them. Third thing is the promise of the presence of Christ. Lo, I'm with you in doing this assignment. Carried out. And then I would add, he gave a promise that he and the Father would send the Spirit because he knew we needed the help to carry out this. It's very scary to start out being a Christian in 33 AD. When you're in the city where Christ was crucified, the Roman government is in charge, and it's emperor worship, pagan worship, and all of a sudden to go out to a hostile world that has just crucified your Savior and King. They needed power. They had fled once. They were cowardly, Uh, a scary assignment. I think just as any of us would be afraid, he said, I'll be, I'll give you the power to carry out this assignment. I'll give you the power. Now, uh, look at Luke 24. Just to give you some complimentary passages, look at what it says. If you look at it, he's talking to the men on the Emmaus Road. And in Luke 24, 46, it said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now, something interesting about this word nations. Let me give you the Greek word and see if you figure it out. Proclaim it to all ethnos. Ethnos. We get our word ethnic. National borders and boundaries change on the map. I think of the former Soviet empire and all these other states that have broken off. National lines could change. It's go to every ethnic group, every language group, every uh, thing that you would consider a demographically distinct people. Go to them. Not go to national boundaries, but to every ethnic group on the face of the earth. That's the goal. Get it as far out as we can. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let me read to you another verse from Romans 10. Romans 10. Let us begin, uh, we'll pick up from verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a glorious promise. Wonderful. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, I don't think it's, they're yelling out, oh my God. That's not the idea. They're not just taking God. They're calling on him for his help to be saved. But he goes on, and he asks us some questions. And the questions go this way. Uh, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming the word? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Uh, The assignment of God's church is to be going in fulfilling this commission starting in your hometown, and they were to work out geographically. And when you read the book of Acts, they stayed in Jerusalem. They did not want to go. Guess what got them out of Jerusalem? The martyrdom of Stephen, Acts 7. Persecution and killing got them out of the city limits. And so Philip goes down to Samaria. And uh, joins himself to the Ethiopian eunuch that had come from Africa to Jerusalem to worship. And explains to him Isaiah 53 and baptizes him. It works its way out eventually, gets beyond Samaria. And of course, it had gone to Judea. Then it begins to go to the uttermost parts. By the time the book of Acts is uh, completed, Paul has reached Rome with the gospel. He'd reached Greece, Corinth, he'd reached Asia Minor, Ephesus, he'd he'd reached many, had gone a long way out. Now, remember, they didn't catch a plane. They didn't have any uh, uh, faxes, no phones. You had to get there. You had to get there overland or by a ship. So, it was a going church that went. God got them out, spread the gospel. Let me read something to you uh, that's interesting that this was published by Church Growth in America, and it goes this way. Now, it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to go about fishing. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, for, for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear about all the ways of fishing, such as the new fishing equipment, fish calls, and whether any new bait was discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman, and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. All the fishermen seemed to agree that what is needed is a board which could challenge fishermen to be faithful in fishing. The board was formed by those who had the great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, and to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many other fish of different colors lived. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Those who taught had doctorates in physiology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Some spent much study and travel to learn the history of fishing and to see faraway places where the founding fathers did great fishing in the centuries past. They lauded the faithful fishermen of years before who handed down the idea of Fishing. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, and they went off to foreign lands to teach fishing. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fish fun of other fishermen's clubs. They anguish over those who were not committed enough to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claim to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he or she never catches a fish? Is one following if they're not fishing? I will make you experts on fishing, or I will make you fishers of men. And so, let's look at Matthew 28 and what is being said there. It goes this way. Let me give you a little uh, Greek lesson here. Not too hard. The main verb, the main verb is make disciples of every ethnic group on the globe. Make disciples. And then he has three participles, which in Greek is a way to uh, Amplify the verb. Go disciple. How do we do this discipling? Three participles by going, by baptizing, by teaching. But the first thing you got to do is determine I'm going to make disciples out of this, this group, whoever that is. That's the assignment. How? How? Well, I must go, first of all. Now, I've given you uh, this little study here for a home study. You don't have to do it now. And I thought it'd be a nice thing for you to this week for your devotions. Most people don't even know what a disciple is. How could you do it? And it's a basic word to be a follower, to be a learner. Uh, And so, hey, I've been assigned to go. And turn people into followers of Christ. Well, uh, how do I do that? Well, he said there's three ways you do it. You do it by going, and then those who buy your message, you baptize them, and then you teach them. And it's interesting the lost two words of the Great Commission. There's two lost words we never quote. We say teaching them what? Geography? Uh, Hebrew, Greek, church history, teach them to obey what Christ taught, and the teachings of Christ have now been put in book form. We've got his teachings in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then in his apostles, he gave them the rest of the message. So the New Testament is the containing the teachings of Christ, teach it, obey it. We're not under Moses, we're under Christ. Obey his teaching. Don't just teach to teach. Some people never want to pay any attention to what I ought to obey. Go fishing. Let me teach you how to fish, but I never fish. Let me tell you what he said, do you do it? No, but I teach what he says, and I'm absolutely correct. Matter of fact, I even know Greek. Do you do what he says? So, the first thing in fulfilling this discipling mandate is uh, go. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means be intentional yourself, intentionally start the dialogue, the conversation of going after people who presently are not followers of Christ and intentionally make the contact that you go and you're fishing for them. Now, to win your world, we in January, we're going to start our home studies up, and we're going to, our first study is we're going to spend a month on how to reach your world for Christ, how to reach your world. Now, here's something that is an interesting dynamic with us. If I said, go disciple the nations, where would you begin? Which nation are you going to? Uh, oh, my family. You got any pagans around your place? We give birth to sinners, not saints. I got 12 grandchildren now. Daughters are saved. Whew, got that over with. Now I got 12 grandchildren, and I'm not sure that, oh, I'm, I know they're not all saved. But I ought to go to South America. There's where the nations are. J. Vernon McGee used to say he can get more money, he could raise more money, to send to Africa than he could to reach L.A. Because L.A. was right near. It was in their backyard. Go there. And we're going to be looking at, start this way. In your world, do you have five contacts of people who do not know Christ, and are you intentionally doing anything to reach them? Are you mute about the subject? Are you praying over them? Are you going out of your way, going to them, uh, uh, inviting them to meals, being kind to them? All of the you're fishing all the time. You're fishing. I'm seeking to turn you into a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, And I think that is the challenge we face today Uh, Let me give you some things that uh, uh, the early church, early Christians, they thought this way, and see if you think this way. Early Christians, they made reaching non-Christians a high priority. In the book of Acts, read throughout, they made reaching non-believers a high priority. Now, is that the priority of your life? are finding a nice church, gets out on time, good music, uh, pastor doesn't go too long, though it seems eternal. Uh, You you know, what are you looking for? Are, Are you, do you have any plans to obey this command? This is a command, by the way. And those who love Christ, obey him. They don't argue with him. This is for us to obey. I don't see that it's written only to me. I'm as convicted, I think, as anyone. Because where do I go all the time? I go to saint meetings. I'm going to a Monday night saint meeting. I'll be with saints and uh, planning meetings Tuesday. I'll be at a staff meeting 9.30 Wednesday, church meeting. Uh, I go out sometimes with mercy teams. Tuesday night, we have a prayer meeting. We go to people on Tuesday night. Most of my life is spent going to one group of people. Guess who they are? The saints. And what do I do with them? I'm teaching all the time. I don't catch many unsaved people because I'm never fishing for them. I'm always trying to clean up the fish that have already been caught. Do you follow me? I smell like a fish. I know that. I work with fish who are supposed to be sheep, okay, and they're scaly, and they come in all varieties. Some are sharks, and some are perch. I didn't mean to be so convicting. Two, the early church, the idea of lostness was foremost in the minds of the early church. People are lost without Christ. And this is both Jews and Gentiles. And I think it must have been such an assignment for the Jew who'd grown up at the synagogue, was always the real people of God, and these pagan Gentiles are worshiping the moon, the stars, our temple of Aphrodite is worshiping sex, food, pagan, pagan, through and through, and we're the true people of God. And all of a sudden, we find out we no longer are the people of God. Because we've not accepted Messiah. We haven't accepted this one we crucified. You're trying to tell me I need God? I know the law. I know Torah. I'm a Jew. I don't need this Christ. And then to go over here to the Greeks, we've got many gods. We don't need another God. You're saying, oh, wait, you're not saying he's the only way. There's many ways to God, right? There's not one way. Man, this is exclusive. Get out of here. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. There's no other way you go to the Father. Well, that's just too bigoted. That's too narrow for me. And and then in America, which has become post Christian, which is a non Christian country, had great principles upon which we were settled, but we know in the public square we're no longer in vogue. Uh, We are being thrown over. Our whole moral system is being thrown over. You're in a pagan culture. Think of all the immigrants that have come to our country. I often go to the bank, and I might be one of two Anglos there. What does that mean? I grew up in Richmond where it was white and black. Grew up with southern whites and southern blacks in Richmond from the World War II war years. that That's the people. I. Uh, I didn't even notice many Mexican people in those days. Very few Chinese. I, I go, I, I went to a play my uh, granddaughter was in the other night. She was easy to recognize, the only blonde head up there. My God loves black hair. I mean, the majority of this earth has black hair and dark eyes. I don't care if you're in India, Africa, South America, us white folks are in danger. In the Bay Area, I mean, the integration, the immigration, and, and to go into a place and maybe hear, I'm always, I was at the mall on Monday, and, and hearing all these languages I don't understand. Do any of you know what I mean? This is a Bay Area. And I say, I've got to get to the mission field. Dumbo, there in your backyard. Are they worth evangelizing? Well, you know, they have another religion, so what? The whole world had another religion when Christianity started. Don't yawn, don't you yawn at all. Repent, don't yawn. Evangelism was designed to make disciples, not get decisions. I raised my hand, so what? Have you become a follower of Christ? No. Uh, I'm still living with my girlfriend. And I still cheat a little bit. And I have a little porno every week. You're not a follower of Christ. You just made a false profession. Anybody raise their hand? Are you a follower? Do you follow Christ? Do you obey Christ? Obey his commands? Uh, Spiritual discipleship meant becoming, uh, growing in Christ. So, evangelism was a priority. Now, I have to ask you and I, is evangelism a priority in your life and mine? They say most Christians, after being saved two years, lose most of their unsaved friends. Just two years. Why? Uh, Early stories in our church, we had a lot of young people just saved. Well, they'd go to wild parties. And they, you know, everybody's lit. Everybody is partying. Everybody's. W- and we don't want you here, man. You're no, you're no fun anymore. Get, ever since you start packing that, bi- don't come to our party. And after about a year of that, you start losing unsafe. C- and then guess what you do? You only go to Bible studies. Isn't that wonderful? You're heavy in the Word. And, yeah, well, what about the going? No, no, let somebody else do that. I'm over here in the deeper life, and we're fighting over what time Christ will come again. You know, when you get deep, you argue a lot. Well, why don't you obey a lot? Why don't you just know enough to obey it? While you're trying to figure out the tribulation, your unsaved friends are going to hell, and, hey, you know what? Dino, you should set it up where I evangelize all your pagan Latino friends, and I can't speak any Spanish but Mayama llama esta Felipe. Come on, let's get an amen. Should I be the one that reaches his Latino friends? You, 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 boy, you're frozen. You're looking spiritual, but you're not. Why? Or you know what we need to teach him to do? You need to get them down here so Phil can get them saved. And so, I'm to be fishing in the great aquarium every Sunday. How many did you get saved Sunday? Well, there wasn't hardly anyone there that wasn't saved. And the ones that aren't saved conceal it so good, we dare not insult them. Who should wi- who should win his mother? His sister. We had a sister just passed away. His family circle. Would some Anglo boy from Richmond be more effective than a boy from maybe Central America or a man that knows the language, knows Latino culture, knows the arguments, knows Catholicism? They're going to automatically be Catholic if they're Latino, duh, or Filipino, duh. And you say, well, I grew up Filipino. I was Christian. I went to catechism. I know all about the Catholic Church. But let me tell you, when I came to have a personal relationship in Christ where I knew I was going to heaven for sure without last rites, without penance, without the confessional, I'm going straight to heaven because I put my faith in Christ alone. Now, do you think you could share that better than me? No question. No question. But we hire us pastors, and we say, Go fishing. I'll bring my unsaved loved ones. Go fishing. Well, I'll fish. I'll try if they could stand my approach. But you, they're stuck with you. You're relative. You're one of their neighbor. Should black people go for black people? Why, sure. White folks, which ones are left? Go after them. Come on. Come on. Your circle. I don't care. Now, if you've got a bunch of black friends, Latino friends, Asian friends, Chinese, whoever your sphere of influence, why don't you, are you intentionally going with good news? Do you assume they're lost? And if they're lost, how can they call on him whom we will not tell about? Impossible. They just will perish. Then he said, by the way, Uh, Once you go to them and they profess Christ, uh, baptize them. Uh, The New Testament never, we never have one incident where a child was baptized. No infants were ever baptized in the New Testament. Uh, Infant baptism started with Catholicism. When Luther come along, he kept infant baptism. The Presbyterians uh, practiced it. And they got a whole theology on it. Uh, We're of that group that says baptism is for believers only. It was only to be for people who said, I'm going to become a follower of Christ. A three-month-old baby has never said that. They've never been able to make that. So, baptism was a big obedience factor in the New Testament. Now, the Jews had some. Now, of course, John the Baptist baptized. We're getting ready to have a baptism service. uh, I believe it's November 8th at night. Gene Schnabel is coordinating that and uh, contact our church office. However, if we can help you there, if you're a believer and you've never been baptized as a believer, you may have been baptized as a child. We don't count that. Because it's only once you said, I am a born-again believer, I'm going to follow Christ, and I want to declare it. I want to declare that I'm a public follower of Christ, not a hidden follower. And so, if you're in that category, we would love to baptize you. Uh, The word baptize comes from this word, get this, baptizo. And it means to drown. It was used of sinking ships. It was used of taking your sword and plunging it. It was like of a, uh, uh, a, a smith working with metals. He would put the sword into a barrel of water. Uh, it was a thorough immersion. And so, we, uh, we immerse you. We've only lost one. And uh, uh, it is an immersion showing that I've become a follower of Christ and I'm now identified with him. Doesn't save, but it says, I've been saved. I'm following Christ. It's very important. You need to be baptized if you haven't. We don't believe it saves you, but it says, I'm not ashamed to go public that I know Christ. Then he goes on to say, uh, teach them to observe. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you And and I mean, now look at that. Verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I won't be a part of the process. No, I am with you always to the end of the age, even in 2015, if you'll do this. So we have to ask ourselves honestly. How can I reach my world for Christ? And like I said, we're starting in our January Bible studies. We're going to do a study. We're going to be using the material for a month, and we hope it becomes a part of your personal philosophy called the oikos principle, which is simply the Greek word for household, house or household. And If you could just start with five people that is in your sphere of influence, on the job, family members, uh, neighbors, whatever's in yours, the cleaner man, your barber, whoever that you start praying for and look for intentional ways to make an inroad, to make an inroad in their life. Uh, Because God wants you to be the fisherman. He wants you to be someone, and then we hope that all of us can be a part of training them, teaching them. But uh, uh, see, many churches, we only grow by transfer growth. Someone uh, moves here from Alabama looking for a church, and they come. Has the body of Christ grown? No. We've got one Christian moving from one area to the other. And when you don't want to do evangelism, you can hope the other church gets in a fight because you might pick up five families. Is that church growth? Now, that's just relocating chairs on the deck of the Titanic. We're just relocating saints that can't get along. Get over here. Get over there. Get over. Wait, wait, wait. Just natural attrition Unless you stay fruitful and multiply, and many of you have made your contribution, you don't look like you're in the procreating mode. Unless we have children coming here and abounding in them, where do we replace the Les Grahams, the Tom Woods, the Tom Mullins, the Jay Hardaway's? People that God takes by death, attrition, move to another job. So, congregations, they say, wow, we're kind of maybe becoming old, we're not growing. How are you doing with evangelism? Well, I'm not done. You know, that's not my gift. Jesus didn't say if this is your gift. He's commanding us to go. He's commanding us to disciple. He's commanding us to baptize. If you don't want to share, who would you think God would raise up to share? If you won't do it, who will? You know, I I work as a chaplain with Jews for Jesus. And uh, I go to their meetings in San Francisco, which is their headquarters. And uh, there's nothing any harder to do than Jewish evangelism. It's hard work. The resistance is incredible. The uh, whole line of the Jew is, you can't be Jewish and be a Christian. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. By the way, the miracle is you could be a Gentile and become a Christian. That's the miracle. uh, We finally become kosher. We accept a Jewish Messiah, right? And quit moon worship and quit temple worship. No, no, no. That's the miracle, but did you know I talked to Jewish workers, and I have a friend that is a uh, Jewish director in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, trying to encourage him in the Lord. He said, "There's like a ceiling over my people. It, it's tough. I've got to go to Russian Jews. He uh, was going to the Ukraine. They're fleeing communism. They're fleeing anti-Semitism. Jews are fleeing Europe. ISIS is growing there. They come in, they populate, they procreate, they have lots of children. Pretty soon they're in the government. Pretty soon they've got Sharia law in different neighborhoods. And Jews are hated. Jews are hated. Down with Jews, down with America. We've had one of the most neutral uh, administrations about Israel we've ever had in years. Forget it. Don't want to get involved. Israel is fighting for a life, and here they are trying to evangelize those people. Who are you intentionally going to the going? We take the initiative. Who do you know that's a believer that's never publicly announced it? It's like being engaged to a guy that you don't want anyone to meet. Our girl, she's so ugly, I don't want my friends to know we're getting married. Would that be bad? Wedding day, have her wear a sack? No, I mean, it just doesn't fit. I mean, you want, you want everybody to meet your fiance. Huh? I'm serious about this girl. Then you take her home and introduce her to mom and dad instead of saying, man, I'm going to keep her head out till we get married. You know, it just doesn't quite fit. And so, I, I'm engaged to a Savior I wouldn't want you to ever know about. He, and and by the way, I know you're going to hell, but you ain't going to find out how to go to heaven from me. That's what Billy Graham does. Well, Billy Graham's about ninety-four years old, and any moment will be caught home with the Lord. What about this generation? This generation. Well, any of your friends you know going to hell? And have they ever been told how they can have the gift of eternal life? Wouldn't you love to be the person that went fishing and led them to the Savior? You can do it. You're God's tool. You're God's means. Don't look at anybody else. Who in your circle of influence do you have the direct influence that you can talk to them about Christ? Now, you've got to be smart to go fishing. You can't insult them, you can't be, you know, you use a breath mint, clean up a little bit. Uh, You've got to be wise enough. Fishing's not easy. Fishing's not easy. The fish aren't always biting. What I would do is who in your sphere of influence is in crises? Uh, have they gone through a divorce? Uh, are, are they, have they been diagnosed with cancer? Is one of their kids breaking their heart? Uh, Are they going to be filing for bankruptcy? Uh, uh, When? How far along are they in this nervous breakdown? How long have they been in the hospital? You know what? You would look. uh, You you take this Henry boy over here, uh, Andrew. I mean, he's Henry to the hill. Not worth spit when he's mad. Never knew him very much. But I taught a class one day when I was a at a seminary in Vallejo. And at the end of that class, I felt divinely impressed to go see Andrew. Andrew's had, you cannot believe how many surgeries this man has had on his legs. Uh, suffered a horrendous accident as a garbage man in Marin climbing all those hills. And, I mean, he had a. Horrific job, still scheduled for surgeries. Probably had 11, about 11 now. But I go, and he's in a hospital in lots of pain, and some company looked better than none. <laughs> right, Andrew? When I walked through, he said, Oh no, God is judging me. You know, not quite. I stayed there, visited. We formed a bond in that hospital room of which we became endeared to each other. I love him. I care for his soul. He knows I do. And he loves me. Yep. And it was all settled, not here, in a hospital room at Kaiser Vallejo, right? I could treat him like a son. And if not, he'd tear my head off. He's made for war. Got anybody in your life? Let me tell you about my mother, then I close. I'm done. Wait, wait. I got 10, what time? The clock's off. They've got it quarter to seven. (laughs) Good night. I didn't preach that long. Uh, Tell you a story, then we're we're done. Tell you how my mother got saved. Uh, My mother's the eldest of 10 children. Irish immigrants, all my mother's people Irish. Grandfather was an Irish coal miner, died of miners' consumption in Pitcher, Oklahoma, Missouri. Frontier people, born in the 1800s. Well, uh, my dad and mom got married. She was maybe 18, 19, uh, uh, maybe married a year or two. You know, no birth control, first baby comes along. Lawrence John, Jr., good, good. Hazel comes along, second child. Monty Ray comes along. Uh, well, one day she's out uh, on the front in El Dorado, Kansas. She's just sitting on the porch, and her boy was sitting on the curb, Jr. was uh, four years old. And when the bread truck came out, the guy didn't see him. And his front tires ran over his feet, the little boy, because he just sitting at the curb. And going over his feet, it threw him forward. And then the back tires ran over his chest, killed him in front of my mother. Okay. Uh, and then it was either after that or when a drunk doctor killed my second brother with the forceps crushed his brain, bled to death. So they left with one girl. They've lost two boys. She's lost two babies through miscarriages. Uh, she's, She's about 23 and already buried two boys, several miscarriages. And she's screaming, screaming, screaming out of her head. My dad had to hire a woman to come in and take care of her. She was a screaming mania. She went berserk. He had to work, this is in the 20s, screaming. And a couple of women from an Assembly of God church are working in the neighborhood, and they go knock at uh, their door, and they said uh, to the woman, "Uh, we're here inviting women to a block Bible study. And she said, well, can't you hear the woman screaming? She is the lady of the house. She's lost some babies. She's had a nervous breakdown. She's out of her head. She's out of her head. She won't be going to anything. Okay, okay. Month or so goes by, she finally starts getting her sanity back, 22 years old, whatever. She uh, is invited again. She goes to this Bible study on the block, and she said that that day they presented Jesus Presented the gospel, and she said, as a broken young woman and a grieving young mother, she said, I knelt next to some sawhorses where they had the bluing dye. Any women ever remember the tubs when they put the bluing dye and everything? I remember my mother had them. She said, My altar was a sawhorse, and I knelt as a broken young mother. Let's see, my boys killed. She said, I was in desperate pain. I needed a Savior. See, part of our immunity in America, everybody looks good, driving a nice car, dressing good. And if they needed something, they wouldn't tell you because we're American. We're, we ain't poor folks. We're no longer white, trash or blacks from Mississippi. We got good jobs. We get good pay. We got an education. Don't act like I have any needs. Oh, we're... You're needy when you don't know Christ, and it's harder to find those steps, those nerves. You can't talk to them about economics, but you know what? I find out people with money get divorces. People with money get cancer. God has ways of letting needs pop up, and if we would be smart enough as fishermen, when that heart is breaking, Cracks open the earth's soil so we can drop the seed in. A broken heart is the crack in the soil if we quit being asleep. Get there and tell them some good news and tell them of somebody that wants to save them. Go fishing. Go looking for broken, needy. Looking for people who make a quarter of a million a year and are losing their kids, and the woman, they don't know if she's going to stay, and their heart's broken. Just start looking. It's a broken world, no matter how good we are at covering up. We're totally inside bankrupt. God bless you.